This is Healthcare Strategies. This podcast was recorded remotely due to the coronavirus pandemic. As a result, the quality may be a little lower than our usual standards. We appreciate your patience as we practice social distancing. From all of us at Intelligent Healthcare Media, stay healthy, stay safe, and enjoy the latest episode of Healthcare Strategies. Welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Sarah Heath, Managing Editor at Intelligent Healthcare Media. The conversation around the social determinants of health have been growing in recent years as talks of value-based care and population health management have come to the forefront. Most recently, the COVID-19 pandemic has demanded experts look at the factors that influence health and wellness and not just the biological factors that can also be at play. How do these environments where we live, work, and play have a role in our overall care? Here to talk about that today is Dr. Kelly Kelleher, the VP of Community Health at Nationwide Children's Hospital. Dr. Kelleher recently completed research about the effect housing quality, the literal structure of a house or condo or apartment can have on a child's health. Notably, that impact is pretty big. Without letting the cat out of the bag too much, Dr. Kelleher found that housing quality is independently tied to poorer pediatric health. In other words, the poorer the housing quality, the poorer the pediatric outcomes. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Kelleher. Thanks, it's my pleasure to be here. So I know that I gave an extremely high level overview of your study's conclusions, but do you wanna give an overview of how you conducted the study and sort of what prompted this investigation as well as the general abstract? Yeah, Sarah, I'd like to do that. Um, so, you know, we have a long history of working on housing and uh, health for children, but recently it came to our attention that the uh, federal government had a survey of income and program participation, what we call SIP, it's a national survey that studies about 50,000 households every few years and follows them over time. And uh, we used the 2014 survey uh, because they focused on 13,000 roughly children aged 2 to 14 years and asked parents about both the status of their housing and the uh, health status of the children. And so we compare the health outcomes, medical visits, hospitalizations, and overall health status for the children that uh, these parents reported on and looked at the housing status. And, you know, and, and the housing status is difficult to measure, but uh, things like cracks in the ceiling, plumbing issue, pest problems, holes in the floor, those kinds of really very specific physical uh, factors in the housing. And of course, as you could expect, those kind of things were directly tied both to overall health status reported by the parents and increased use of outpatient care, emergency room and medical visits overall, but not hospitalizations. That confirms other work we've done on the adult side uh, that looks at uh, medical care and health status. But the adult side did have one difference, which was that hospitalizations were also increased. And so now when I think of housing as a social determinant of health, I really start thinking about, you know, neighborhood safety or proximity to schools or nutritious food. Um, and I noticed that your study, in fact, controls for those factors a little bit. Can you offer any sort of hypothesis for why even just the physical quality of the living structure impacts health and wellness? Yeah, I'd like to take a stab, but of course it would just be a stab because our data is not good enough to know. It's cross-sectional data in a survey and it's not clear which direction these problems go actually. But there is a 
ongoing debate about what about housing affects child health. And there are thought to be two main mechanisms uh, whereby housing can affect children. One is the direct physical implant, and, and that is poor housing like this is concentrated in environments that may have increased levels of toxins, increased levels of environmental exposures, uh, exposures to highways and large amounts of traffic where particulate matters put out through exhaust. These actual physical features also are associated with neighborhood effects, concentrated areas of poverty. Uh, one of the things we noticed in the survey was not a lot of households had all of these factors, but the, the physical problems. But when they did, the children were much more likely to have poor health. So we know that in many American cities and many American communities, intense or concentrated areas of poverty are concentrated in a few areas. And we have a long history of segregation by race and class. Um, so that affects children. So children, one, one hypothesis is there's a big bucket and all these factors add up. The other is some direct effects. So we know that mold in uh, plumbing problems and house, houses with cracks is worse. Children have worse asthma in those cases and have more emergency room visits. We know that pests uh, carry allergens and children tend to have more allergies and uh, asthma, eczema and atopic dermatitis, things like that. Um, we also know that when a house has got other kinds of problems, parents are worried and parents are worried trying to move out. They tend to have a lot more of their income tied up in into their rent. And as a result, stressed parents are less available parents to interact with their children. Great. So now what are some of the solutions out there for housing quality? Um, like what are some viable next steps that need to be taken to begin addressing this issue of you know, the mold or the, the holes in the floor, or any of these housing quality issues that you guys investigated? I, I think there's a variety of steps actually that uh, we would want to consider. And part of it is who the audience is. So for a long time, many large cities have said, well, we have an affordable housing crisis, so we're going to let landlords operate with impunity and not necessarily take care of things and enforce the housing codes. And that results in lots more children going to the emergency room and we pay for these things. All of society is suffering the consequence of this, not only in the excess medical costs for the children, but in the long-term outcomes for families and children that have increased disabilities and increased medical issues. So for us, the one message is to policymakers that housing codes do matter, quality of housing for Persons who are trying to live in affordable housing matters a lot. And this deficit we have in America, because we've refused to build in some neighborhoods and people want to protect their neighborhoods with large lots and exclusionary housing policies, have really cost children. And we should acknowledge that. The more important message for medical people, uh, I think, is the three-layered way they can work on this. And when I say three layers, I, I realize that's probably not self-evident, but the first is, are we asking these questions? It's in the past, we've asked about housing insecurity, but the first question is, are we screening in clinic for housing quality? If people have mold on the walls, cracks in the floors, rodents and pests on the floors, you know, we think about that for asthma and sometimes for eczema, but we really aren't looking at the total picture for children to understand it if we aren't asking about the housing quality they're living in. 
So one, one level is this assessing your individual patients and helping them find respite. So that might be doing uh, the second level, which is getting your hospital and healthcare institution, which has a ton of political pull in the community, to help enforce housing codes. And that can be done very directly. There are some hospitals now that are starting to work with city areas to do maps of children with asthma in their community and finding out that certain landlords have a disproportionate share of children who suffer from asthma and other allergic diseases. Well, that's a housing problem. So going after those particular landlords with data on housing and health can really make a difference. Uh, And of course, medical legal partnerships can be very effective in that. And those are clinics, legal clinics that are embedded within medical centers. And then the third level and the level that I spend most of my time on is really trying to help the hospital and its partners enhance the supply of affordable, high quality housing in our community. And, you know, finding willing banks and and participants, the mayor's uh, department of development, uh, the state government and housing finance authority and working to build capital stacks and low income housing tax credit deals where families can find clean affordable housing uh, that's not available on the market right now in many places. And I do have a couple of follow-up questions there, especially as it relates to the role of, you know, the health system and then on the individual DOC. I guess first to tackle the role of the individual health system, I think you've already answered really nicely what, what role they do have to play, but do you have some strategies for how healthcare can begin the process of either working with their community leaders to go after landlords with poor housing quality or begin some of these affordable housing projects that you talked about, Um, maybe like a little bit of a basic roadmap for organizations? Sure. These are new roles for many health systems, so I think it's important to talk about that. So thanks for asking, Sarah. The first and probably most direct one is the discussion of how would a healthcare system think about healthcare outcomes that it cares about, especially when they start getting paid in a capitated fashion, or if you get paid to keep people well. So accountable care organizations or managed care companies and some health systems, they do better financially. Now the new business model is keep people out of the hospital. Well, now we have motivation to make sure patients are healthy. And yet we know that patients who live in poor housing tend to have more emergency room visits, more hospitalizations. They tend to have people with specific problems like asthma or prematurity tend to do worse in certain kinds of environments. So by mapping those, literally using spatial temporal mapping and tracking, for example, asthma cases or cases of prematurity, cases of lead poisoning, we are able to track where their concentrated areas of those problems are And it's very easy to look up large landlords who have properties in those concentrated areas. And once you do that, it's pretty clear that those landlords tend to have a lot of prior housing violations filed against them already. And so having a medical legal partnership in your hospital or medical center that works with the team and working directly with the city code department and enforcing the housing violations and taking people to court is uh, something that hospitals should definitely feel empowered to do, especially when it's affecting the well-being of their patients. In fact, 
it's almost immoral not to. The harder one is to think about how do we affect affordable housing? Because most hospitals don't think that way. It's not in their wheelhouse. And yet we know nationally there's an amazing shortage of affordable housing and that COVID pandemic is only going to make this worse. So here in Columbus, Ohio, for example, we have a shortage of around 50,000 units of affordable housing. And that number's staggering, so it's hard to think about it. But on a smaller scale, within regards to certain neighborhoods, especially those surrounding the hospital, it's very clear that every year there are hundreds of billions of dollars in the United States invested in low-income housing tax credit projects and other affordable housing initiatives that are monies transferred through the federal government to the state housing finance authorities. And that money is spent whether healthcare is involved or not. So one of the things we did was educate ourselves about projects and needs in our area uh, that were gonna be done through the mayor's department of development office and say, some of these should have health outcomes. We wanna put in prenatal care in one of them. We think this one should have a childcare because there are not enough childcare services in this facility. Uh, we would like to do a job training program in this one to have more hospital workers for our neighborhood. The mayor was thrilled about that. The state was thrilled about that because having a hospital partner means when they do job training, there'll actually be real jobs behind it. When there's going to be a childcare setting there, they know it's going to be a high quality childcare run with a five-star rating. So those are small ways that we can begin. And once you're involved with that agency, what you see is there's a large amount of money already being spent. It's not just being spent though in a way that we can see the advantages in healthy children. So understanding where children are sick and where they need to be better and where current investments are is uh, something that a hospital is well positioned to do. And every hospital already has extensive real estate experience, banking experience, legal experience. So those things can really facilitate your involvement in these other activities. Great. And then on that smaller scale, how can an individual clinician begin looking at this issue? I know you mentioned that it's something that clinicians can screen for, but how do we begin creating a standard by which clinicians start screening for housing quality and make sure that they have a social service or some mechanism for help that they can refer patients or families to? These are uh, new features of the health system in the last few years, but I think they're growing in number. And uh, one of the most important aspects of this is not just to screen for anything and not have a solution on the back end, as you quickly point out. Uh, so when we do screen for housing quality or even housing insecurity, we should really make sure that our community partners are prepared to help us with the answers. And our community partners can be prepared uh, in a couple different ways. Uh, oftentimes, our medical clinics have social workers who have great contacts in the community and know which agencies are dealing with things. Many cities have community response teams that deal with housing insecurity and zoning problems and quality problems. And so knowing who those partners are before you start the screening is essential. So in our city, uh, the zoning office is willing to work with us on identifying landlords that are problematic especially when it comes to child health. And we work with the Columbus Metropolitan Housing Authority and Community Shelter Board here for people who are housing insecure. And we have an algorithm that they have distributed to all of the medical providers, large medical providers here in town. And we use that algorithm jointly as a quality improvement project for the city to say, if we identify people, how can they get engaged with your services? 
So just screening alone is, is not enough. So in other words, number one, working with the zoning office, usually through a social worker or our medical legal partnership, which is how we do it here at Nationwide Children's Hospital, where we have a legal aid clinic inside the hospital, or working through a partner for housing security, like the shelter board or the Metropolitan Housing Authority, uh, to actually find housing for those who are couch surfing or living in a car or on the street when those happen. In our own clinics, we use a screening tool that's been approved by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid for its accountable healthy communities, and it screens for housing insecurity. We are adding questions on housing quality. Most of the responses we get are for the most serious cases, and those are the ones we try to act upon. Now, where do we go next with all of this new information, either from a research standpoint, or I know you began talking a little bit about what you all do at Nationwide Children's Hospital? Well, I think the the steps are really fall into three categories again. One category is where do we do on the research side? And housing interventions are expensive. So if I say, well, you know, these two families need a lawyer and these two families need a house and these two families, you know, in my clinic, I'm, I'm adding a lot of cost potentially to the system. It turns out that money's probably already being spent anyways, just not being targeted to the right people necessarily in order to get the greatest bang for the buck. So one thing we need to do is we really need the studies that track our ability to engage people through the medical system with all you know the asthma cases, the people in the emergency room, the the pre women who deliver prematurely because of pollution. We need those cases and screening elements to be linked up with interventions and tracked over time to see if they actually got better. Did they get the services they needed? Did they improve? And does that change the long-term outcomes? Um, because that's the kind of return on investment that people are gonna wanna see. So from a research perspective, we need those tracking abilities over time to see if our interventions are working. There's a big question that if we do improve the neighborhoods, so Nationwide Children's is committed in our Healthy Neighborhood, Healthy Family program to actually going in and try to improve outcomes in the entire neighborhood, not just for patients who come in with some problems, but can we upgrade the housing environment, the social environment, the air quality environment, several things in the community. And when we do that, you know, there's no real evidence that that works yet. Um, so we are looking to both Columbus and to other sites. We're hoping other people around the country share their results in what actually works in getting rid of these neighborhoods of concentrated poverty and uplifting the people who live there to have a mixed income, sustainable, opportunity rich community. So we're very interested in that. And the final thing that we know is that these particular communities are largely historically from our redlining racist policies of the past 80 years. And really to overcome that is gonna take 10 to 20 years of consistent investment. And that investment will have to be wealth building so that families can retain their own income. So things like the earned income tax credit, the child tax credit, other policy issues that cut across neighborhoods and cut across society, but really focus on the lowest income people in our communities. We really have to lift them up so they have an opportunity to participate in society and their children have an opportunity to participate in good schools. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Kelleher. That was really enlightening. I really enjoyed talking to you and um, be happy to uh, keep this work up with you. 
And for our listeners, we'd like to hear more about key social determinants of health impacting your pediatric populations. You can hear more from us on our socials at PE Health IT and on patientengagementHIT.com. Thank you. This has been an Intelligent Healthcare Media production.